May I ask you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. We'll look at verse 19 through 30 this morning, briefly. Next Sunday, we're going to hear from uh, Brother Chuck Register. Uh, Chuck is um, one of the staff members at our state convention. Uh, he's in charge of church planning and missions work for our state. In fact, uh, many of you remember Mike Griffin. Um, Chuck was Mike's direct boss uh, when he uh, went from here to work with the state convention. Uh, but Chuck has uh, before was a pastor and uh, Mississippi, in fact, I think one of our teams might have gone down and did disaster relief uh, where he was at, and I think he was pastored at that time, uh, passport uh, area of, um, of Mississippi. And so he'll be here, and uh, he'll do a wonderful job. I um, wish I could be here to hear him uh, with you guys, uh, but I will be somewhere uh, next Sunday. I think Lucknow, India, um, are somewhere going somewhere else. I don't know. It's kind of foggy. Uh, so I'll be uh, leaving uh, at, our uh, flight leaves at 2 o'clock, so I need to be at RDU close to 12. So you know what time it is now. <laughs> so I won't be long, <laughs> and I won't uh, talk with you too much afterwards as well. But I, I want to uh, turn to this passage because I, I think it is uh, fitting, especially on this Sunday. It's, it's amazing how God uh, in his providence, as we go through verse by verse through a book, how God orchestrates the timing and events of what's happening in our church with the text that we're looking at. Uh, and the title of this uh, passage is how disciples communities globally care, the globally caring disciple community. Uh, and that is a, a word for church. Uh, the church is, from uh, the New Testament, by definition, international. I had a friend of mine who tried to call his church uh, international, uh, Victory International, and I, I was challenging him on it. I was like, well, isn't that a little redundant? Uh, isn't church international by definition? And he agreed. Yeah, I guess it is. Uh, the problem is, is that we've uh, made it something other than that. And so we're going to see how the discipleship community is moving, and uh, we've seen a little bit how it's jumping cultural barriers, going from the, the Jewish culture into uh, not only what was called the Hellenistic, which was the Greek-like Jews. Uh, they had Jewish heritage, ethnicity, but they acted like Greeks, and so there was a, a lot of barriers between those two. And then we've seen how it moved to Ethiopia through uh, an Ethiopian eunuch and how it moved down that way. Uh, through an individual. Then we've seen last uh, few weeks how it moved to Cornelius, an Italian, and so uh, a Gentile uh, all together, and how the church was astounded that the Holy Spirit would reside not in Jews, not in the promised seed of Abraham, but in a much broader group. And so Galatians says, if you are in Christ, then you also of the son of Abraham. And so this was something that the church is starting to learn uh, and work through those issues and, and still have much to do. And not only that, we've seen persecution arise. Uh, Saul was the main instigator at one point. Uh, and so the Hellenistic Jews especially were scattered. And then we had the 
the apostles remained in Jerusalem. And so now we're starting to see this spread. And that's kind of where the story picks up again. It, it dealt with Cornelius, dealt with Saul. And now it's kind of continuing back with this idea that it's scattering. The faith is scattering everywhere. And as it scatters, we see uh, some actions that take place that makes this church globally caring. And so let's read as we uh, do stand in honor of God's word as we read Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenist also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. You may be seated. So at the beginning of this passage, we see that the, the, the line, the Christian movement, the disciples are following familiar lines. Let's go to the Jews, let's preach to them, teach to them, because they are ones, after all, looking for the Messiah. So why don't we tell them the good news? The Messiah has come. And so they have a Christian heritage, or not a Christian, but a, a Bible heritage of the Old Testament. And so then we have these uh, individuals that start to jump a little bit. Uh, we see this in verse 20, a uh, couple of men of Cyprus and Cyrene. And so when they come to Antioch, they start speaking to the, the, the Greek-speaking Jews, the, the Hellenist Jews, the culturally different Jews. Now, Antioch is the third largest city in the Roman Empire. So up to this point, it had been centered in Jerusalem, a, a no small place, but significantly smaller than Antioch. Antioch was the capital of Syria. Uh, Jerusalem was just kind of, oh, that was kind of the, the pioneer edge of Roman Empire. Uh, and a, a few uh, twenty to 30,000 people uh, in Jerusalem, whereas uh, Rome would have had around a million people, Antioch being the third city, and so fairly close to a million in population. So if in your mind, think Chicago uh, here as far as uh, culturally, population, density, what's going on here. And so this was uh, a city that was founded by one of the generals of Alexander the Great, 
Uh, and so he named it after his father, Antiochus. And so he had a military mindset. And he created walls around the city. But interesting enough, not only did he create walls around the city, he divided the city up in 18 different quarters with walls in between. Why? Well, because where he was at in Syria was a major crossroads. Uh, It was obviously close to Israel, Judea. It was close to Africa. It was also close to Asia. And so not only did you have the Romans there, you had the the Jewish there, you had the Middle Eastern there, you had the Africans there, and then you would have the Persians, the uh, Chinese perhaps even, to some degree, and then uh, to the, the Indians. And so you've got all these different people there, and so he had different quarters for all the people groups to be in, and he built walls in between them. Why would someone do that? Why would you build walls in between your city where the different ethnic groups live? Because it didn't take much to light it again. The ethnic feuding and fighting in between. The the thing that kept the peace, what was called the Pax Romana, is the military might of Rome. And so they basically subdued everybody. And so it was the peace of the sword, the peace of the spear, it was the peace of the Roman soldier. And that military might was the only thing that kept it together. And so they had the common roads and it's just a flourishing time among people. But there was always the threat of violence. It's what kept it from not being violent. And so I think it's interesting to see this city and see what happens when the Christian faith goes there. When the news of Jesus hits a city, the first major city. In fact, the Christian movement makes such strides in the city that the capital of of the Christian faith switches in a short time from Jerusalem into Antioch. So we see in our text, where did the name Christian comes from? Right here. Why? Well, we learned last week that the Christian faith was creating a whole new way of viewing people. I mean, you always had barbarian, you had Scythian, you had, you had the, the Jew, uh, then you had the Ethiopian. You, and you always had these neat labels. You had these nice, neat labels. But the Christian faith comes and changes how these people are thinking and viewed. In fact, what's happening is that people are crossing walls to worship together. And there is a unity that's taken place that Antioch has never known before because they're seeing lives change as this good news goes and it changes not only people individually, but it changes relationships and they have such an identifying quality about them that though someone is a Asian or Ethiopian or Jew or Greek-speaking, they have certain characteristics that has something more than their skin tone. And they can see an identifying quality about them. And they can no longer call them Ethiopian because there seems to be a driving characteristic more than their skin tone. And thus they get this whole new identity. Christian. Christian. I'm kind of leery of the word Christian used as an adjective. 
It doesn't modify anything. It defines. It defines what we are. And so there's not really an African Christian or Indian Christian. There's not uh, a Caucasian Christian. It's Christian. You are that. That is defined by your faith because the gospel totally changes your identity and how you define yourself and how you view everyone else and so something amazing is happening and it's taking over the city let me just ask you this question as we read this if someone was trying to identify you by how you behaved by your moral code by your graciousness by your love your joy the peace that you seem to exude from your life what would they name you I think it's so unfortunately easy to wear the label Christian. And I don't know what comes in your mind when you hear the word Christian. And I don't think anyone really has anything that comes to mind. And usually when they think Christian, they don't think love anymore. They don't think joy. They don't think peace anymore. The disciples did not call themselves Christians. Who called them Christians? The city did. Interesting enough, it's totally turned around. We call ourselves Christians, but what does Nightdale call us? That's the question that needs to be asked. Not what we view ourselves, how does the world view us? And so, as we read this, uh, this story of how it takes over a city, there's certain actions that take place. They're surprised. Uh, the believers in, in Jerusalem are surprised when they, they hear of this. Uh, and so they, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And so one of the things that I want us to see is that there is a sending that takes place in globally caring. There is a sending. First, it's the sending of Barnabas to Antioch. And we find that Barnabas doesn't go on a short-term mission trip. He seems to stay there hang out there, becomes an elder in this church there until he gets sent out again. Do you know where the first missionaries are intentionally sent from? Right here, Antioch. Up to this point, they had only been sent out because they were forced to by persecution. But in the New Testament, Antioch was the first church that says, you know what, we need to send out from us and how is it they got to that point? Part of it is they received. They received Barnabas, who was sent from Jerusalem to check things out, but Barnabas happened to stay. Now, when they send Barnabas, what kind of man do they send? The Bible tells us right here that he was uh, someone that was a good man, uh, that was filled with the Spirit uh, in describing him. And so he uh, is filled with faith. And so when he sees what's happening in the city, his reaction was glad. And he exhorts them. He, he is marveling at what he's seeing, and there's a rejoicing in his heart. The Bible also, we've already learned that Barnabas was a giving man. In fact, we've seen the story of Ananias and Sapphira and what happened tragically. They were trying to follow the model of Barnabas who sold his land, and all that money from his proceeds went to help the needy in the church. So let me ask you, uh, how would you feel if you sent out a Barnabas from Green Pines? This is someone who has under, uh, or undergirded the needs of the church, who is known as an exhorter, as an encourager. They give. 
of the church. One of the things that we have to be careful of as a church is that we hold on to our members. And we get into a survival mentality of, you know, there's such a blessing to us. I cannot envision them. I don't want to see them. But what will our church do if this family leaves? Listen, we need to always keep in mind that the church is undergirded by Christ himself. It's his mission. It's his field. And he calls out workers as he wants And we need to understand that and appreciate and love that. And so there's a sending aspect that the discipleship community is doing. And they send out Barnabas. But Barnabas comes and he serves. He serves. We see first how he is exhorting them, teaching them in the word of God. But then, verse 25, he realized that this is so much work. There's a great many people being added to the Lord in Antioch. You know, sometimes we think we go to the city and people lose their faith. You ever the story? Young person grows up in church, grows up in small town, moves to New York or moves to wherever. And because of everything that's around them, they get exposed to this. And before long, their faith has been jettisoned. It's a familiar story. I would present to you the faith was jettisoned because the faith was never theirs. It was something to do to conform to the people around them where they grew up. But their heart never was grabbed, never was seized. Interesting enough, though, we have in our mind, we start thinking, well, the city is where faith dies. In the Bible, it's absolutely not true. It is in the city where faith flourishes, where the gospel flourishes. Why is that? Well, because in the city, there is the needs of the people that hits you square on. Have you ever been around a a few thousand people at one time? Of course you have. But can you imagine the situation where they're at, where it's not a few thousand, but close to a million? There's a reason some of you live where you live, right? I don't live in Raleigh because I don't want to live in Raleigh. Because of all the things that happen in Raleigh. And, and so consequently we think New York. I remember visiting New York and I'm thinking, I cannot wait to get out of here. It was just so many people. I, when we, I was driving yesterday and I had um, one of my daughters with me. We were just driving a Saturday morning and we were on Hodge Road. And I was just appreciating what we had. So, you know, there is no one on the road. I don't see any so i don't hear a horn blaring anywhere do you understand this is such a rare thing in india i've never been anywhere in india where i did not see some mass of people and heard some mass of noise and i smelt some something (laughs) i don't know what but that's just where many people in the world and so there's a part of this that says, yeah, i like that i i want to be in the rule i want to have my wide open spaces i don't want to be around people because people are problems we can think of 10 reasons off the top of our head why we don't want to move to a big place and and children and school and all these things come into it but listen and all the things that you do when you're around people it enforces you to see the need and to meet the need and that's part of the reason why we don't want to be there because it calls on us it pulls from us but i'm going to tell you the christian faith can flourish in a city when there are people seized by the gospel who are sharing and serving 
One of the great blessings I hope we can continue to do is to serve Hodge Road Elementary because that honestly is just a need that our town recognizes. The whole Wake County system, I think, recognizes it. And will we be Christians who are the neighbors that will serve that school? This is something for us to think through. What does that mean when we see a need? And so the goal of our church is not necessarily just to build a great church, but let the gospel work in our heart to build a great town. You see the difference in that? When Nightdale, when the people in the neighborhoods realize that the gospel is motivating us to reach people and not just make sure we have a nice building, They know enough about the Christian faith to know that isn't right. So I just want to challenge us to kind of follow some of the things that we see here that's happening in Antioch, this service that's happening. Barnabas would come and he brings Saul. Now what's notable about that? Barnabas isn't trying to be comfortable. He isn't trying to be the sole hero, the sole teacher of this city. God's using him. He says, there's a guy I remember, he had a hard time being received by Jerusalem at the time, Saul, where'd he go? He went to Tarsus. It may have been that he has been in Tarsus maybe 13 years by now. So I know it was just a couple of chapters ago that we talked about Saul, but it, it's a, a good bit of time that has passed between Saul uh, having uh, instruction for the Lord in Syria and then going to Jerusalem briefly, then going to Tarsus. And now he's been teaching there. And so Barnabas says, I'm going to get him. And so he does. And he brings them back. And he serves. He serves Saul. And together they serve the church. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. I'm going to just share with you, you are serving other people as well. As some of you know, I'll be leaving and I'm going to go to um, Nepal. And I'll be there probably till about Friday, Saturday. And we're going to have church planners coming in. And we're going to be doing some medical treatment with them. Working with their children a little bit as well. And then I'll be teaching the church planners, me and another pastor and Finney, The three of us will be teaching these church pastors. You have given for that. Some of you gave through love offering. Some of you have given uh, through the budget that we're using to supplement that. And so what you're giving for, you're giving for a pastor and their family to come and to hear the word of God. They don't have school. They don't have seminaries. And so they have times like this to get medical treatment. You're doing that. You're serving And just one way. And understand, it's not me alone. I cannot do what I'm about to do unless there's a church doing it with me. And that's you. And so we're serving together. When we have members, like we'll be visiting Chad and Amanda on this trip at, uh, in the Middle East. And so that's what we're going to do on the end. They're working there. He's going to be moving in May, working in a hospital. And so they're working with Muslim people there and they're sharing the gospel. That's us doing it with them. Do you understand that? When we pray for them, when we are supporting them financially and other ways, we are serving with them. I appreciate so much this church having a sending and serving mentality in this. I would challenge you, there's a lot more places and a lot more people that God's calling us to just within five miles of where we live. 
Not to mention Puga County, where we have missionaries there. So what else happens here? They get labeled, verse 26, because of their Christ-likeness. Christian means little Christ. Now in those days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. It just strikes me because it really had no benefit to them to help out a church in a whole other region. But one of the benefits of us having many different people groups in a church is that we start paying attention to what's happening around the world. When you have a brother or sister in Christ that is from that area, you pay attention. That's what's happening here. They have brothers and sisters in their church that are from Jerusalem, that are from Judea. And so the Holy Spirit comes and sends a message to say, look, this is going to happen. Can you, can you imagine that for a little bit? Someone coming in here and say, you know what? There is going to be an, an, an amazing famine. People are going to die in India or people are going to die in Kenya. Uh, these things are happening. I didn't realize that there was a drought uh, in Kenya. I had no clue that that's going on right now. And the Holy Spirit sends a message to us through a, a prophet. What do you do with that? God has moved in their heart where not only are they sending and serving, they're sharing. They do a love offering. They collect a relief and they use this to send Paul and Barnabas along the way. The sharing aspect of it. Here's the reality of the world we live in. Disasters happen every week. And now in the age of the news, we know about it. And not only do disasters happen, hundreds and sometimes thousands of people die. And here's the reality we live in. We hear it in the news. And we think, man, that's bad. That's terrible. And that's really all we are able to embrace of that. And we move on. Hey, that was a great game last night. Isn't that, that's the world we live in, right? That's what our neighbors do. That's what we do. And we, and we cannot embrace all the tragedy that happens. There's too much that happens. But one of the things I would ask you to do is when you hear about tragedy, instead of just saying, that's bad, would you be willing to ask God, God, is there anything you want me to do about that? Just do that. And if you do that, you will do more than what everyone else is doing. If you just simply, in hearing the news, 
This past uh, what, a few, day, few, few days ago, 120 or 130 some were killed in a, in a mosque in Yemen. It caught my mind because I happened to visit there one time. Normally, I would have gone on and I thought, yeah, Yemen's a bad place. Bad stuff happens there. I don't want to go there. But when we as a church see that the gospel is needed around the world, the world becomes more alive to us. And what do you do when the world that is sick with sin becomes alive to you? We can't deal with that. We go to the Holy Spirit and say, God, is there anything you want me to do about that? At the very least, let me pray for what's going on because there are Christian brothers and sisters in those areas. If we as a church in Nightdale, North Carolina, a suburb of Raleigh where it is comfortable and people come here for comfort, if there are people that get involved with us and they see that there's a body of people that really take world news to God and care, and they care about making this city, this town, a good place. I'm going to tell you that that type of spirit that's in a body is attractive. That is what this world is longing for, and they are just saying, is there anything in life that produces this type of person? Because government doesn't do it, and the schools don't do it. And there is no amount of education that can change the heart of a person. But what we see in Antioch, in this third largest city that's ethnically diverse, where there's problems abounding, yet Christian faith flourishes. Because it provides the one thing that the Roman Empire could not do. And that is to help people love one another. And so I invite you not to globally care, I invite you to take to God the needs that you get exposed to. For them, in Antioch, it was an interaction with the Holy Spirit when they heard about the famine that was coming. Is it an interaction with the Holy Spirit when you hear about what's going on? 